0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We are in a book called Exodus, and we are reading a story um, that is ancient. But hopefully, as you are seeing, that this story um, is one that has, uh, yes, happened in the past and happened a long time ago, but has very much to say to us here today, that for those of us who are in the room and are believers, it has something to say to us. For those of us that are not yet believers, it also has something to say to us. And the particular passage that we're going to be looking at today is uh, it's from uh, Exodus chapter 7. We're actually going all the way through to 11. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of that. But if you, you know, want to be a part of that, you want to read uh, this particular passage. Um, if you've seen the, the Prince of Egypt, this is essentially uh, the, the, the plagues, the series of plagues. Uh, that come along, um, but I think in this particular story, in this particular part of the story, um, it really picks up where Gareth kind of left off last week. If you remember um, Gareth's uh, se- section last week, it really began with this question of Pharaoh asking Moses and Aaron, who have come to him, and said, hey, you're going you're gonna to let God's people go, and Pharaoh kind of says, well, who Who is God? that I should obey and submit to him, and that I should um, follow his rule and reign. And so there's this kind of pit between, I guess you would say, Pharaoh thinking that he is God and that he is sovereign, and Moses and Aaron representing God and coming to him and saying, no, 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 Yahweh is saying that you are going to let your people go. And so it kind of, this is almost part two of last week, where really what we're seeing is the answer to that question, well, who is God? Well, God's about to show you who he is. And he's going to show you, Pharaoh and Egypt, that he is not like your, quote-unquote, gods. He is not like Pharaoh. He is completely otherly. He is different. He is distinct. So in this particular passage, it it really, if you read it, it kind of is like a slow motion crash. Uh, For those who are a little bit older in the room, you might remember back in the day where they used to have these ads where, um, they would have like a car with crash test dummies in it and those cars uh, would be videoed in slow-mo and they would hit a wall and they would show you what that car would have looked like without all the safety devices in that car. And so these crash test dummies go everywhere and they're flying around, but then you get the super Tesla car, right? And it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't even need fuel. And then it's, it sort of comes and it's like, look at what it looks like when there's safety. And so this is really a story where we're going to watch a slow motion sin crash of what it looks like to not surrender to Yahweh and as this series of plagues kind of goes on and on we're supposed to sort of see it is like it's just one thing after another thing after another thing and it keeps on building and building and building and the question is who is Yahweh and who will surrender to him and so even at the beginning Of chapter seven, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. That is, you are going to represent me to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his hand. Verse three, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. If you remember last week, that, that word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, when we read in English, we're supposed to see that's a particular name of God. It's not just God in general, it's, it's, it's Yahweh. Not just a big and powerful God, but the personal, caring God who's with His People. Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring about my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people from Israel among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord Yahweh commanded them. One of my favorite parts of the verse. Now Moses was 80 years old, Aaron 83, it's a bunch of old fellas, (laughs) and they're just like empowered by the Spirit of God, and they're just operating as God's spokespeople, God's men. So I want to pray that God would speak to us through this. Lord, we thank you for your Word. God, we thank you for stories of old, um, that because they have you speaking them, they are timeless. So, Father, as we sit here today and we, we just quickly move through this, this passage, Lord, would you speak to us today through it? Would you help us to see you and know you? And as you are calling both the Hebrews and the Egyptians to follow and surrender to you, Lord, may we be men and women that would surrender to you. I pray this in your son's wonderful name. Amen. So I think there are really three things that the the writer of this particular part wants us to see about Yahweh. Okay, The first one is that Yahweh is the true God. So the Egyptians are polytheistic. They believe in a multitude of gods. If you remember, the Nile for them is... A deity. They they worship it because it provides nourishment to their to their whole nation. It is the the life source. They have lots of gods in which they worship. Pharaoh is one of. And so there is this this sort of build-up between well, who is God and who is not, and this series of plagues is God's way of saying, No, 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 no. There is only one God, and I am He. And so you kind of feel like this building and building and building after one plague after another. I think on the screen, if we go back, I might have missed it, but if we go back to the previous slide, you can kind of see uh, the, different, the different sort of plagues. There's really 11 signs. The first one is just with the, with the staff that turns into a serpent. You might remember, for those who've been here, this is something that God had already showed Moses and Aaron, that he can do that and he will do that. And so their first encounter is just to go there and then the magicians are able to copy that. And so their staff turns into a snake, but Moses' the snake eats their snake. It then happens where the magicians are able to basically do the second one, where they're able to turn some water into blood. And so there's this sense in which, oh, we can do some things. Oh, we're pretty powerful. And then all of a sudden you get to frogs. And they're able to replicate some of that. But what you notice as you read it is they can never end any of the things in which gets started. So they can't get rid of the snake. They can't get rid of the blood. that The water has turned into blood. They can't get rid of the frogs. And then by the time we get to what I used to call ganats, one of the first times I ever got to preach in a church, I said ganats. And uh, someone came and just told me how they're really... Pronounced, which is Gnats. And so they can't replicate it. They they, they kinda of have there's a sense in which they seem to have some ability, and these magicians essentially are those that represent the gods of the Egyptians. And so this is said that a Moses and Aaron, you're gonna go in and you represent me, you serve me, and then the magicians are basically Pharaoh's crew who are serving him. And so they, they can do some things, but then by the time we get to the Ganats. They can't replicate it. In fact, as it goes on, they start to actually say to Pharaoh, Hey, Pharaoh, when, when are you going to stop this? Because this is now becoming trouble for our people. And they don't even try to do it. By the time they get the boils, they themselves get boils and can no longer stand in Moses' presence and they leave. And there is, this, there is this compounding of who is God and who is not God. And it goes on and on and on. And the big takeaway is supposed to be Yahweh is the true God and there is no other. Now, how do you determine whether something is God or not God? What are the characteristics that would define whether something is God? Okay, so theologians have wrestled with this for a long time and I'm just going to give you four of about a thousand, okay? Okay. Um, when you want to sit down and go through a systematic theology and go deeper, you can do that. But for now, just think about four. One, to be God, you must be self-existent. That is, you have to be unmade. Because if you were made, now something is bigger and better than you. You cannot be God. So even, even here, Pharaoh is supposed to be some sort of like God, demigod. But he has been made. He is, he is not self-existent. He once wasn't, and now he is. There once was a Pharaoh before him, and there will be another after him. He is not self-existent. To be God, you must be self-existent. You cannot live within time. You must be outside of time and create time, of which the Christian story and this story tells us that that is Yahweh. He is the one who is self-existent. He is not made. There is no one above him. He is unmade, and you cannot get rid of him. This is a distinction between you and I and God. We are made. We are creatures. He is creator. And there is a clear distinction. And that is a good thing. That is a really, really good thing. He is self-ruled. Autonomous. Think about that word. Our culture loves the idea of freedom and autonomy. Um, auto, meaning self Nomos means ruled or lord. So if you think about even just automobile, it's like self-driven, self-moved. Autonomous means self-ruled, self-lord. How many here have broken your own rules? Oh, oh, oh you guys are amazing. Hey? Um, my, my kids love it when I make rules because they know I'm going to be the first one to break them. You're not allowed to drink directly from that water that's in the fridge. You know, uh, you and I have standards and often we'll put those standards on everybody else and often we don't even match our own standards. See, w- we, we don't self-rule. We want to self-rule, but if we're honest with ourselves, we can't even rule ourselves because we break our own rules. We do things uh, like we, we kind of hold others to a standard of which we ourselves break often. Do you know one of the big distinctions between you and I and God is God never thinks he's you. Think about that. God never for one moment has ever thought of himself as me or you. We've all thought of ourselves at some point as ruling. But God is the ruler of all things. He controls all things. He has authority over all things and nothing can control him. In this story... This is a story of who is in control. Is it Pharaoh who keeps pushing down and harboring uh, more and more heap on these people? Or is it Yahweh? God is self-existent, God is self-ruling, God is all-knowing. From the beginning of this story, he says, this is what's gonna happen with Pharaoh, guys. I'm gonna tell you up front, Moses and Aaron, let me just tell you how this thing's gonna roll. I know it all, I know how this story ends. This is one of the great things I love about the Bible, is the Bible has incredible prophetic accuracy. When you you test the Scriptures time and time again, there has been this evidence that God is able to know the future. Why? Because He's in control of the future, and therefore He tells us what's going to happen in the future. We see this just in Jesus Himself with the amount of Old Testament prophecies that constantly are pointing to this person, this Messiah who would come, that get completely fulfilled in Him. And the end of the story, it ends telling us something and that's supposed to give us hope because we've seen time and time and time again that God knows all things and he's telling us how the story ends. And guess what? For those of us who are in Christ, the story ends in victory and it is awesome. And we're supposed to live from that. But he not only knows all things, he is all powerful. It is interesting in this particular passage that God is using the the things that he has made by his power to then unmake them. The point is, he is slowly taking away the power of Pharaoh in Egypt, not just so that his people would be delivered, but so that the rest of the world would know who Yahweh is. And as you read the story, you get these little remnants of people over the history of the people of Israel, where there are these, quote-unquote, pagans, not, not God followers, who are in these towns... And they believe in this God called Yahweh amongst all of their pantheon of gods because they know that Yahweh was the true God. You see this in the story of Joshua and Rahab who's in this town. And these guys are kind of coming secretly and doing stealth missions and they meet this woman of the night. And she's like, I know your God and I follow your God. And it's this idea that this moment has shown not just Egypt, doesn't just show Hebrew, it shows the whole world who really is in control and has power. So you can believe in your God of denial. You can believe in your God of fertility. You can believe in all of these gods, but they are not God. Yahweh is the true God. Secondly, we're not just seeing who is the true God. We're seeing that this this Yahweh is a God of righteousness. Judgment and justice. I, before becoming a Christian, found this particular part hard about God. I don't know how you have felt about God, whether you might not be a Christian here and you might have some objections to God. One of the things that I struggle with is that God would judge. And I, I, I had that issue because I grew up in a culture in Australia where no one judges me. No one gets to tell me what is right and wrong. I get to determine that for me. And you, you, you get to determine that for you. But just say, no, if your ones don't match my ones, I'm going to cancel you. Okay, Because that's kind of how a culture goes, right? It's like, hey, hey, no one can tell me what to do, but if you're not quite doing exactly what I think should be doing, then I'm going to be the judge. See, we live in this weird context as a culture where our, our culture has almost this... this this imaging of God's heart for justice. But they also want to be the ones that are the judge. And we can't do that because we're fallen and broken people who cannot judge well. But God is the righteous judge. That is that he is he's here in this particular thing. He, he is coming in this moment and he is exercising justice for great evil. I don't know how you feel about that. But I actually am now very, very glad for that. Because I don't know about you, but I've experienced great evil. I've had people do things that have broken me. And I've wondered what or who will do anything about that, because that is wrong. And here's what we have in God. God says, hey, That heart for justice is right and good. But you have to let me be the righteous judge who knows how and when to exercise that justice. Think about movements like the Black Lives Matter movement, think about the Me Too movement. These are things where the people in our culture are saying, This is wrong. Somebody's got to do something. Who will stand? And then even in those movements, things start to twist and turn and, and things which are supposed to come from this righteous, this, this justice, actually starts to turn into something that it never was supposed to be. And now all of a sudden, there are those here saying that abuse is wrong and we're going to do something about it and now they're abusing right? And it's like like the heart is right. That's exactly right. We should not allow that. We should stand up for those who have no voice. And we should stand up as, as Christians. We should be standing up for the unjust in our world. But only God can truly be the judge. And we cannot. And we must let him exercise his justice in righteousness. And so that's what he does. It said there in verse, uh, in chapter 7, that these are mighty acts of judgment. I want you to think about it, for 400 years they've been getting enslaved and every time it gets harder and harder and harder and as Gareth shared last week, when they come to him and say, hey, no, no, you need to let the people go, he's like, great, well now I'm going to make it, excuse me, even harder for them and so God says, enough is enough. I'm going to come down and I'm going to exercise judgment on you. And he does one thing, and then he does another thing. And every time, it's pretty much the same formula. Hey, this is what God's going to do. Let the people go. No. Let the people go. No. Let the... Okay, I will. Now I've changed my mind. No. And as you see these, particularly these, these 10 plagues, so to speak, there's another plague that's in all of them that we're supposed to see. There's actually a, a different sort of sense in ways that, of which judgment actually comes upon. And it's kind of layered in each of these. And often, often we kind of see, it. well, it's the frogs that's the judgment, and then it's the gnats that's the judgment, then it's the boils that's the judgment. But actually, in each of these, what you get nearly in every single time is some form of the language that Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart was hardened. God hardened his heart. See, a lot of people have a debate today about how judgment works, you know, and so if there's an earthquake in the world, it's like, whoa, God must be judging. That's, that's the judgment, and oh, there's, you know, floods, it's the judgment of God. Um, what the Bible says is like, don't worry about those ones. The worst thing God could ever do to us is actually give us the desires of our hearts and give us over to that. And this is what happens with Pharaoh. This is what Romans 1 says. Romans 1 says that there are these people who, who, who rather than, than, like they know God, but they do not honor God. That is, this is exactly what happens. Pharaoh says, hey, yeah, I realize it's Yahweh that's doing this, ask him to take it away. He keeps acknowledging God. God exists. I know that he's there, but he will not honor him. He will not bow to him. He will not worship him. He will not say, yes, you are the sovereign, powerful one, and, and, and I'm, I'm not. And so Pharaoh's heart is at the center of all of this. And Romans 1 is saying to, to us, of like, hey, listen, the worst kind of judgment of God is not bringing an earthquake or a flood. It's just him saying, you don't want me? Okay. Have it your way. You cannot have me. Friends, that's scary. And I know that's heavy, but it's what the Bible tells us. And the Bible is constantly saying to, to those who are in and around Yahweh, hey, 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 please, please look at your heart. Is it hard or is it soft? Does it want God? Like we're all the same, right? We, we kind of want God, but we kind of want the Maui god. Right? We want we want we want the god that would sing you welcome to us. Would tell us how he lassoed the stars and the sky and did all the things and I can't remember all the words of the blah 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 and the something phenomenon and you know you know how it goes. We, we kind of want that God who's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the demigod and you see me and you see all the stuff, you're welcome. You know, He's just, he's just polite and beautiful. And there are times when, like, yes, God is gentle. Yes, God is kind, but God is also God. And at some point we have to bow. We have to say, yes, you are and I am not. And that is one of the hardest things for us as human beings to do is go, yeah, we are not sovereign and we bow and we serve and we worship Yahweh. And we don't just know he is God, we honor him as God. And so when you read this, it should act as a bit of a mirror to us and go, how much of Pharaoh is even in me? Where will I allow God, for those of us who are Christians, where, where will I allow God into my world? Because I don't know if you're like me, but man, I, I was straight up on the forgiveness piece. I was like, yeah, if, if, if Yahweh's going to forgive... I'm down with that. But then when Yahweh started to tell me how to use my money, I'm like, yeah, no. I'm going with Maui, you're welcome. He was like, God's going God's to tell me how to be a husband and what it means to be a father and what it means to be a friend and what it means to be a brother and how I should use my time. And so for most of us in the room, we, we've, we've bowed the knee. We've said yes to Yahweh, and, and Yahweh is saying, continue to do that. Why? Because he's a middle, middle being who just wants to control all things? No, because he's Yahweh, which doesn't mean powerful, distant God that's far away, that just wants to control all things. But actually, one of the things that makes God in the Christian theology is not just that he's omnipresent, not that he's just omniscient, but that he's omnibenevolent, which means he cannot be anything other than goodness because that's what God is. So everything he calls his people to, he's going to call them to do that because he loves them and he wants good for them. And this is what it looks like to flourish. So when we have cultures that that heap up money and are greedy, then we have rich side by side with poor. And God says, no, 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 this is how we steward money, so that there are no poor. And we lift up the poor. Do you see? And so God is saying that he is the righteous judge, and he is challenging the heart of Pharaoh. And even his men, his magicians, say, Pharaoh, please surrender, and he will not. And lastly, we get to the third thing, is that Yahweh is not just the true God. Yahweh is, is not just the righteous judge, but Yahweh is the gracious Savior. If you read through these, and I encourage you to do so, you'll see that in the first couple, it seems that the people of, of God, the Hebrews, actually have them have, happen to them. So that Nile it turns into blood, well, that's the same water source that they had. And so it affects God's people and not God's people. The frogs is the same. It seems to be that it's over the whole lot. And then you you get to sort of this this next phase where, where God actually says, hey, listen, I'm going to have a special thing for my special people. So the turn is Goshen. So he's like those in Goshen, which is a part of Egypt, nothing will happen to them. So all of a sudden he starts to make a way that he is saving and rescuing his people from judgment. They don't experience it. By the time you get to darkness, which is the second last one, all of Egypt is dark, and then it tells us, but the Hebrews had light. God is making a way to rescue and redeem his people. And it gets even better than that. God even makes a way for the Egyptians. So when it gets to the livestock, Moses and Aaron come and say, hey, this is what God is going to do Uh, Sorry, it's with the hail. This is what God's going to do. But but I'm going to give you time to actually get everybody indoors. Because I'm not just about bringing judgment. I want to save and redeem people. I want to rescue. So I'm going to make a way for that to happen. And we see at the end, when they move, when they actually get rescued out of this place, Egyptians go with them. It's not just the Hebrews. It's any and all who would, by grace, place their faith in this Yahweh, in Christ. That is how someone is graciously saved. And we're going to see this next week. It's really important that we do not confuse the Hebrews as being the good people and the Egyptians as being the bad people. The distinction is who do you worship? Where is your faith? Where will you place your faith? And the Bible tells us, the Christian doctrine tells us, that we are all saved by grace alone. Nobody can stand before God without fault and error and say, look at me, pick me. It is purely by the grace of God alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. So that Hebrews don't ever get to boast and say, well... You'll notice they do this. I'm Hebrew. I'm special. And God says, you're you're only special because I choose to give you my grace and mercy. And so if anyone in Egypt would turn and follow Yahweh, they themselves get rescued. And so as an incredible author by the name of C.S. Lewis once said, the same sun melts the ice, hardens the clay. What God does is he comes in in the same act of judgment. The other side of the coin is that same act is a way of escape, a way of safety, a way of saving his people. And where do we ultimately see this? We see this in Jesus. That when Jesus goes to the cross... That is both an act of God's judgment and God's love at the exact same time. That God is taking the penalty for sin and saying, sin is not okay. It must be dealt with. And I'm going to make a way for anyone who would put their faith in me to be free. And God on the cross in Jesus Christ defeats Satan, sin, and death and then invites you and me. Come and make Yahweh your God. Because He loves to redeem and save people. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us,